0: again. As Sue said, we are continuing this morning in our preaching series in John 17. As she said, this is this amazing opportunity for us to to sit in alongside of the 12 disciples. Remember, the scene is still the end of the Last Supper. Jesus has been teaching them through the Farewell Discourse, which we did um, earlier in the spring, and he concludes that meal by turning towards the heavens and praying to the Father. And he does it out loud so that the disciples can hear. And he does it out loud so that we can hear. And so this morning, we get to crouch crouching close and hear what Jesus is praying for. And guess what? The subject is us. It's about us. Already to this point in John 17, we've seen that Jesus has prayed that his disciples would have eternal life. And you need to find what eternal life is. Eternal life is unending, fullness of life. It's knowing God. And as Tim talked about two weeks ago, knowing God isn't just knowing about God, but it's being in relationship with God. But here's the logical question that we have. How are we to be in relationship with a perfect, omnipotent, holy God? I mean, we learned at the beginning of John that no one has ever seen God. Having a relationship with a God that we cannot see and walk with every day, I mean, that that, that would be pretty difficult, right? Why doesn't God make himself more known to us? Richard Dawkins, one of the leading voices of the new atheism movement, he put it this way. He said if he was to, the question to him was, if you went to heaven after you died and you met God, what would you say to him? He said, well, God, if you're real, why did you go through such great pains to hide away from us? Or Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, he had an atheist friend who asked him this. He said, why didn't God just organize the stars in such a way that they just spelled out Jesus, right? Wouldn't that make it easy? Or how come at the molecular level of things, if you were to take a microscope and look down deep at the you know the smallest things in the universe, how come it just doesn't say made by Jesus, made by God. You know, everything else is made in China or made in the USA. Or, I mean, wouldn't it just be easier if God would just make himself a little bit more known, right? When I get up in the morning and consider all the challenges that I have in front of me, whatever they are, the things that occupy all those places in our, in our brain, wouldn't it just be easier if God would just like poof, show up and say, you're good, I got you. He doesn't have to move into the spare bedroom, but just like a little bit more. That's a real question, right? I think we need to think about it this morning. Why doesn't God just reveal Himself to us? Many of you are probably really offended by this question because you know how foolish it is. You know the question shouldn't be, why doesn't God reveal Himself to us? It really should be something more like, have you had your eyes open?" To where God does show up? Have you had the epiphany that God has been made known? Really it should be, why do we forget how God has revealed Himself to us? Because as we look at Scripture over and over again, we see this medical condition known as GCS. Here's the WebMD page, I pulled it up. And by the medical field, I mean I've made it up this past week. Um, but it's throughout Scripture. It's throughout Scripture. It's, GCS stands for Golden Calf Syndrome. You know, the sickness that the Israelites had in the book of Exodus. Where they got to see God bring them out of Egypt through the ten plagues. Literally splitting the Red Sea. It parted so that they could pass through. And every day, God showed up in a pillar of fire, going before the Israelites every single day, leading them where they should go that day. I mean, like, God showed up. And then Moses, they come to Mount Sinai, Moses goes up on the mountain. And this is what the people did. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. You mean kind of like the God who went before you in a pillar of fire every day, and yet you forgot in less than 40 days. This is golden calf syndrome. From there, they made the golden calf. It's the syndrome of seeing God make himself known in our world and in our life, and then so quickly forgetting. It's short-term God memory loss. You say, if, if God would just raise someone from the dead, we have that. In the book of, uh, in the New Testament, we have God raising, Jesus raising Lazarus up from the dead. And some believed, but some were so freaked out by God showing up in a powerful way that they went to the Pharisees to have Jesus killed. If God would just show up in a burning bush, if God would just stop the sun, if God would just calm the storm, if God would just show up and speak to us and tell us that he loves us so very much that he's going to send his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. Oh, right. He has done all those things. And yet we forget. God has made himself known to his people. Our text this morning, it tells us the truth that even more than all these other ways that I've already mentioned, Jesus has done something new. Jesus has revealed God and the disciples witnessed the living god in their presence. And they may not have gotten everything, but they knew this that God made himself knowable in Jesus. So is God hidden or is God's beauty been made so beautifully manifest that our hearts just burn within us. It's like we've had an epiphany, a eureka Like Mary Magdalene at the sight of the empty tomb, the sight of Jesus, saying, I have seen the Lord moment. So let's listen in on Jesus as he prays, as he prays about us. You you can find it in your pew Bibles on page 877, where we're reading three verses, John 17, verses 6 through 8. Jesus prayed. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you've given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. This is the word of the Lord. So we're entering into a new portion here in John 17. If you've opened your pew Bibles, you may have noticed, or in your, your Bibles, personal Bibles, you may have noticed that verses 6 through 19 have a new heading. It says Jesus prays for the disciples, he prays for the believers. But this passage is every bit as circular and confusing as the last five that we've gone through, right? Like, I don't. What do you, what do you mean praying for his disciples? What's happening here? And we see in verse 9, it says, "I pray for them." When I read that, the question is, well, who's the them? Has He introduced us to the them, and that's what 6 through 8 is. 6 through 8 is our description of who it is that Jesus is about to make some huge requests for. It's a description of the disciples. And guess what? That's a description of us. He's describing his future disciples, Christians, followers of Jesus. And who are they? Who are we? We're the ones who don't just know of God. But we have met Jesus. This is our story. You're a witness to who Jesus is. So The first question that comes from that for me is is one that we've got to make sure we get this right. So wait, who is Jesus then? So let's pull up the Wikipedia page um, and and go back through all the facts, right? This is our, our Book of John Wikipedia page. So early on in John, John chapter 1, we see that immediately Jesus was seen as a great teacher, right? The disciples first called him rabbi, which means teacher. He taught many things about his love, his mercy, the kingdom. He taught circles around the leading uh, theologians of the day, the scholars, the scribes, and the Pharisees. He taught circles around them. And to this day, pretty much everyone on earth can agree with at least this one thing. Jesus was a good teacher. He taught some pretty good stuff. But he was way more than that, right? He also did some things that were quite stunning. He was a teacher, and he was also a healer. Over and over again in John, Jesus performed signs. And we saw last spring that these signs weren't just for the sake of doing a sign, they were signs that pointed to a greater reality that there was something different about Jesus. Something different was coming. He did things that no one has ever done before. And more than that, he was also a disciple maker. He started getting followers quickly, and he invested deeply in the relationship with the 12 disciples and others, and he started a movement that started to gain traction, and the Pharisees started getting freaked out. The, the leading politicians of the day, they got freaked out, and they started to begin to plot how they would kill Jesus. But Jesus knew this. Because he was also a rescuer. He wasn't just starting a nonviolent social movement to help out the poor. He talked about the purposes that he came for. and Jesus, it was clear that he was leaving. he was going to die. He knew that they were going to plot against him. And he came ultimately to rescue the world from darkness and sin. and he was going to lay down his life. that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. The question from that, I guess, is, well, how can one person dying? eternal life there must be something else different about jesus right early on in john we found out that jesus claimed to be god's own son in john 5 he said very truly i tell you the son can do nothing by himself he can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does the son also does but if he's god's son is this like a like a zeus hercules type situation you know how hercules is zeus's son but he doesn't have as much power because he's his son no John 5, continuing on, find that Jesus claimed to be His Son is also a claim to be equal with God. But if He's equal with God and we worship one God, how can this be true? How can, this, how can we hold these two things in tension? And right from the beginning, you should have said, like, Jake, you're doing this backwards. John 1.1 says it clearly. In the beginning was the Word, that being Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Wait, what is happening here? I thought you said that Jesus was praying to the Father. So if Jesus is God, how do we wrap our mind around that? That's the big elephant in the room of John 17. And I'm not going to go into it all this morning. I'm not going to go into the mechanics of how the Trinity works. But simply to say that next week we are. Next week we're going to go there, we're going to go full Trinity. But this week, i just going to appreciate the beauty that here in John 17, you hear Jesus saying this. That Jesus is God and He is the person of the Trinity that has come visibly to this earth, walked among us, and done all these things. This is what we've been witnesses to in our year-long study so far in the book of John. This is what we've been witnesses to. But isn't something missing here? I've just given you the Wikipedia page. This is just the info. You're like, that was boring, Jake. I could have told you the same thing about Gandhi. I could have told you the same thing about Bono, which is we did two weeks ago. The truth about who Jesus is is the biggest deal there is. I don't want to belittle that at all. But this text is about more than just info. Jesus isn't saying, I've just revealed all the info, the facts about God. What I've given you is just information about Jesus, but that's not the question I asked. The question was, who is Jesus? Because we know that our God has shown up. We don't gather here just to learn the facts about Jesus. This is not a museum. This is the church. This is where we meet because either we want to meet the living God or we have met Jesus. We've met the living God. A lot of us here, we've witnessed a lot more than just this. So what have you witnessed? You're like, why are we even talking about witnessed? I don't see this in the text. It's kind of a confusing text. It's very circular and lots of pronouns. But Let's settle in verse 6. Jesus is saying, I have revealed you to those whom you give me out of the world. Now you might see in your Bible, um, in, in the pew Bibles, a little note here for the word you. Because it's literally your name. That's what it says. And Jesus isn't saying, I finally revealed the right name for you to call God. You know, stop calling him God, Lord, Yahweh. I not no, call him Jesus. This is this is the correct name. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I've revealed your name. And we've talked about this the last couple weeks. This idea of your name, it, it's really, it means your character, your work, your purposes. It's at the core and foundation of who you are it's the essential fullness of all that something is so jesus is saying my disciples are the ones who've gotten a picture and have believed that i've revealed who god is but what about this revealed word this is really important and i hate to do this like the greek stuff but this word is just so fun. The original word is a fanarosa, And it, it's this idea of revealing, of making something that was previously unclear, something that previously was confusing, or just, you know, it was, it was just downright difficult to understand. Clear. Making it clear. It's where we get the word that you might know, epiphany from. You know epiphany. It's that, aha, I get it. I've forever changed now that I've witnessed that moment. Let me give you an example of a very famous epiphany. If you ever took calculus, you can blame this guy, Sir Isaac Newton, very uh, famous, influential scientist and mathematician. You may know the Apple story, but apparently it happened this way. Newton was working on trying to understand optics and light and planetary movements. And ultimately, the, the base question he was asking was if the Earth is round, why does the moon move in such a way that we observe it moving around? He had some ideas about what he thought maybe it worked, but he sat one day underneath an apple tree, and an apple fell to the ground. And being a good scientist, he asked the most ridiculous of simple questions. Why, why does an apple always fall down? Why doesn't it fall up? Or when it falls from the tree, how come it doesn't fly, fall sideways? And it was in that moment of seeing the apple fall down that he had this stark realization. He had an epiphany. He finally understood one of the deepest questions he'd been asking. Understood. He understood that objects were drawn to each other based upon their mass, which is the theory of gravity. But you can't see gravity. Newton had to witness something to give him a sense, to give him a fuller picture so he could fully understand basically the largest of all things in the universe, how they ultimately function. He had an epiphany. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying no one can see God. I have epiphanied who you are, Father. And those who are my disciples are the ones who've had their eyes open to that, aha, oh my God, moment. Remember we said the book of John began by saying, no one has ever seen God. Well, the verse continued. No one's ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. Is made Him known. Whereas Paul says in Colossians 1, the Son is the image of the invisible God. And what happened? What is Jesus saying here in our text today? He's saying, I've revealed who you are. They've seen the image of the invisible God, and they knew with certainty that I came from you. And they believed. Because they were witnesses to something that would forever change them. The 12 disciples got to witness three years of Jesus. Other disciples maybe only witnessed him speak once. Some, like Paul, witnessed him only in a vision. Many of us have witnessed Jesus revealed through reading the words of Scripture. Or some have witnessed his presence by seeing the cross displayed in art. Some of us maybe have witnessed the image of God on display by serving the poor and the forgotten in our communities. Some of us have witnessed Jesus underneath just the beauty of creation, staring up at the stars. And Some of what we've witnessed, it's just, it's hard to put to words. You just had to be there. But what have you witnessed? We say we can know God and these are all the elements the diagram that Tim showed two weeks ago these are all the elements of knowing God being in relationship which is our fullest calling but that leaves us with this real question but who is God and we get this answer here from Jesus he said I've given you the epiphany moment of who God is and we are here this morning because either we desire to meet and have that epiphany moment or for most of us here we've met Jesus we have witnessed who God is in Jesus. And this is really, really good news. But what do we do with it? Because If you're a witness to who Jesus is, there are two sides to that. Inherent in, in this word witness is a receiving and a giving element. I think a takeaway this morning is for us to, to recognize that when we receive as a witness, We can grow in that we can grow in the desire to receive more to know jesus better to know god better and to actively seek to be aware using the four quadrants of of that diagram that that tim showed seeking to be aware of jesus more he's with us forever to the end of the age he says me learning more information about him having a robust intellectual faith engaging in bible studies reading books learning about him or to experience his presence by gathering together in worship, in community, in service, gathering together to work together, to serve together, gathering together in a small group, sharing life. You can encounter Jesus by listening in silence and hearing his voice, or reading in his word and encountering the living God to speak through his words to us.